Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Get ready to meet yet another creative powerhouse whose resume is a literal who's who in the arts, specifically the world of dance. So, here goes. Joan Myers-Brown is the Executive Artistic Director of the Philadelphia Dance Company, or Philodanko, which she founded in 1970 and the Philadelphia School of Dance Arts, which she created in 1960. She also serves as honorary chairperson for the International Association of Blacks in Dance, which she gave birth to in 1991. She has several honorary doctorate of fine arts degrees and has served on a slew of regional and national organizations, including the National Endowment of the Arts. Among many of Joan's honors, and she must have a massive mantelpiece in her living room to accommodate them all, is the 2019 Bessie Award for Lifetime Achievement in Dance, which recognizes outstanding work in choreography, performance, music composition, and visual. Dance Women Living Legends Award, a tribute to five African-American women who founded modern dance companies with deep roots in black communities in the states. Then there's the 2012 National Medal of the Arts, the nation's highest civic honor for excellence in the arts. President Barack Obama knows who Joan is, acknowledging her for creating, quote, an artistic haven for African-American dancers and choreographers to innovate, create, and share their unique visions with the national and global dance communities. Joan's legacy has been chronicled in the 2011 biography, Joan Myers Brown and the Audacious Hope of the Black Ballerina, a biohistory of American performance. Oh, uh, by the way, did I mention that Joan happens to be 87 going on 88. Well, there you go. And she is here. So, Joan, welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. It sounds pretty good from you. It sounds like I need to hire you. Well, not for nothing. You're a pretty damn impressive woman that doesn't need any help from anybody else. Joan, talk to me about how dance played a role in your life growing up and where, in fact, did you grow up? Well, actually, I was born and raised right in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I, of course, knowing the age that I am, you know, I grew up in the time of segregation. So there were limits to things that me as a young black girl wanted to do that weren't available to me. So uh, I thought that if you don't reach out and try to make changes, they won't happen. So that's what I've been doing pretty much all my life, trying to help other girls who wanted just wanted to be dancers or who wanted to be in ballet companies, who I just wanted a chance, so I'm still at it. <laughs> Apparently. But where did that fit in your life? Did you study dance? Were you in any troops? Was this encouraged by your family? Well, actually, I didn't start dancing until I was in the 11th grade in high school. My gym teacher told me that she thought I should be a dancer. And, you know, I'm looking at all white girls in white costumes on stages or seeing my friends in my high school who were dancers that I didn't even think about doing. So being encouraged or led to dance was something that just happened. And it's dance I just fell in love with. And again, the lack of opportunities for me was like crazy. I studied ballet at a black school, and I got an opportunity to study ballet at a white school, but as a private student, I wasn't permitted in the classes. I wasn't permitted in the performances. I wasn't a part of it as long as I could pay for private lessons. And then Anthony Tudor came to Philadelphia. He was a great choreographer, and he said, you can come to my classes. And that changed my life. 
And so I've just been involved with dance. I, I luckily never had a chance to be a ballet dancer, but I, I got a chance to dance in reviews. I danced with Pearl Bailey's show. I danced in Sammy Davis's show. You know, and I got a chance to travel and see the world as a dancer. So I wanted to provide that as I got older for more young black girls. And, you know, today, if I look at my local dance company, the Pennsylvania Ballet, and I say that, there's only one black girl. There's never been two or three. So, you know, my life has been around dance. I love it. I love dance, and I love dancers. But there's Alvin Ailey, and there's Arthur Mitchell, who were so instrumental and seminal in forming dance companies that were welcoming black men and women. But you're saying you're talking about all black companies? You're talking about all black ballet companies? We're talking about companies that exist in cities that get millions of dollars to support them and have no black dancers. Well, there'll be work for black dancers in a Broadway show if it's an all-black show. But if you go to see Oklahoma, there's only going to be one black dancer. So we're talking about making our organizations, our dance companies look like America, not just black girls. Native American girls, Latin Latino girls, Indian, all kind of people should have the same opportunities. I'm just instrumental in helping our girls of color get these opportunities. So we can't point out all black companies and say, well, there's one. That's good. That's fine. That's not enough. We got to do more. Being black in America is difficult still, and it shouldn't be. It should be equal opportunities for all. That's just my take on it. So I still want to focus on you and growing up and being a dancer. So it spoke to you and you performed. And at what point in your career did you say, I'm going to give up the dancing to focus on expanding the world for African-American dancers, male and female? Well, I can point to the fact that I was dancing in a show with Pearl Bailey. She had just done Hello, Dolly, and she was taking the show on the road where she needed some dancers, so I was one of the dancers in her company. There were, again, she came out of Hello Dolly, and there were two black dancers. So uh, I would happen to be one of them. But I woke up one morning in a hotel in Boston, Massachusetts, and I said, "This is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a ballet dancer." So I said, "I was going to open a school and start training girls." who also felt the same way, make them to be the best that they could possibly be so that when doors were closed, it wasn't about their ability. It was just how do we change being just their color. What year was that? Uh, 1959. I opened my school in 1960. And talk to us about that journey of opening your school. How hard? How easy? How did you know what to do? Where did you do it? Well, I did talk to a woman who had a, a, a young black woman who had a school in Philadelphia who was retiring, and I asked her, how do you do this, how do you do that, and, and the fact that I thought I wanted to train dancers. And um, I said it was on-the-job training. <laughs> I took a risk. And the same thing, I took a risk when I started the company. I was lucky that it was when the National Endowment for the Arts was starting. So there were opportunities then 10 years later that weren't available in 1960. In 1970, some doors started opening. 
you know, you take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves, or you make an opportunity. It sure sounds like you were on a path that you felt very confident on. Did you have people supporting you? What was your home life like? Who was there to say, go for it, Joan? Well, actually, with my mother, my father was like, dancers, you don't want to be a dancer. <laughs> dancers, are, you know, you want to do something else. I like, I want to be a dancer. My mother was a research and chemical engineer. She got a job during the war because they were giving women jobs that men used to do, but men were going off to war. So fortunately for her, me and her, she had an excellent job, and she was a research and chemical engineer. In fact, right before she died, she was doing nuclear research. Wow. And those doors opened at different times again. In her work line, if it hadn't been a war where the men were growing off, that opportunity wouldn't have presented itself for her to take that job or learn that job. Well, clearly you had quite a role model in your mom. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So you start this first company. Where did the seed money come from? I worked for six years uh, in a nightclub dancing at night. And then my friends that I knew who danced to, I got them to help me. And that hasn't stopped. I'm still getting friends to help me do what I do. And I have a network of wonderful people. I met a girl in Vegas last week that I danced with 50 years ago. Oh, God. I had not seen her for 50 years, but we danced in an all-black show in Vegas. It was the only show on the Strip that had black dancers, but it was all black. And so life repeats itself, and I think myself and young people coming up have to realize that you have to take advantage of what's available to you and make it work for you. And if you're looking to help others, make it work for others. Well, you make it sound so simple. I mean, it is so obvious on the one hand, but on the other hand, I bet there were definitely times that you felt you were pushing a rock up a hill. Oh, recently. Recently. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was recently actually taking my Social Security check and doing payroll. Oh, know? wow. And then I, I was fortunate to meet someone who said, no, you have to do X, Y, and Z so that you can get be eligible for larger grants, not just the little small grants, so that you can, what you do can make a difference. And you're not putting the bill. I always tell my kids they better do something for themselves so they're not going to be able to afford to bury me because I'm paying pensions. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about the besties, and it was incredible the number of people that I have helped that I didn't even know that I helped. Wow. How wonderful. To see that in your lifetime, to be on the receiving end of that, that's huge. So talk about Philodanko, the dance company that you founded in 1970. Well, I think the thing that keeps it going strong is my demand for excellence. I can't say you can't say that you want to do something and you're not doing it at your best or at the best that's expected of you. So I think there's a level of excellence that I demand so that whatever you want to do, that you're used to always working at your best. And I started that with the first group of dancers. And actually the first group of men I have are football players who help them be better football players. Really? So, yeah. And some of them actually had long careers in dance. Uh, So, you know, I think my expectation of what I'm producing and what I'm presenting or, or giving youngsters as their goal is excellent. You know, and I was thinking about ballerinas, specifically Misty Copeland. That's the only one can name, it seems, even in this day and age. 
Well, no, because no one did their research. I mean, Janet Collins was dancing with the Metropolitan Opera Company. She was a ballerina with that company. Carmen DeLauve, there were many before her. But Misty Copeland, she was marketed up to Wahoo. They took pictures of her with point shoes on, but also with Under Armour. Yeah, the clothing line. Clothing, yeah, yeah. So she was known more for her Under Armour advertising than she was known for ballet. And so when it got to the point where they were letting the world know, here's this black woman that is, even though she's selling uh, athletic wear, she's a ballerina. So they had to give her an opportunity because it was in their faces. But they were dancers as capable or equally as capable who never got an opportunity. But the social media, the advertisement, everybody knew who this woman Misty was and they wanted to see her. She was a product of, of uh, social media and advertisement. And not, not mocking her because she's wonderful, but she was not the only or the first. Is your focus more than ballet? Is it modern dance as well? I mean, do you look at the whole dance picture, so to speak? Well, I have to because my company, uh, if there is the dance theater hall, there's not going to be a second black ballet company. It's not going to happen. But so my my company does everything. You can't be single focused. But my love of dance is ballet. But my company members have to be able to do it all. And I think that's one thing that keeps uh, Philip Banco in the forefront is that we are able to do a program where some of it's neoclassical, some of it's hip hop, some of it's modern. I know lots of fathers get dragged to ballet uh, recitals, but when they see that the dancers can do so many things that they enjoy it, then they'll come back and see us again. And I think that's uh, one of the things people say about Philodanko. There's something for everyone in a Philodanko concert. How much of your work do you choreograph? I no longer choreograph. Uh, Sometime in the dancing school for our recitals, I will help them with choreography because I, I identified early on that that wasn't my strongest skill. I think taking care of the store was what I needed to learn to do better, mm-hmm. and that's where I put all my focus. But I also make sure I hire people who are capable of giving us their best so that what we end up with is a good product. Leslie Odom is one of my former students. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. He just did a benefit, he just did a benefit concert for us last week. And he was in Hamilton. Right, but he was one my kids running around here in my school before that. Wow. So, And also Lee Daniels, who that his Broadway show, The Empire. So I've got lots of success stories that went, went on to their lives without it being dancers, but using the equipment of a dance training. Yes, which, which, which served them well. And also, um, have there been a lot of original works that you've been involved with? Well, I always at least try to do two or three new original ballets each year because not only does it give the dancers an opportunity to learn to work in other directions, it also gives emerging and younger choreographers an opportunity to have their work seen and allow them the opportunity to move on. So there's there's lots of things that go on around dance or around what I do that have nothing to do with dance. But I try to keep it positive and keep moving and trying to make sure what I do helps someone else. How many dancers make up Philodanko? 
I usually have between 14 and 16 dancers. Sometimes a show that I'll do, I don't need but 12 dancers because it's according to programming. If I've been to that institution or theater to produce a show, I, I try to think of what did I do the last time I was here or this is my first time there. So what am I going to show the people that we can do? Talk to me also about the International Association of Blacks in Dance, which I mentioned you founded in 1991, the goal of which is to what? Well, actually, I started it in 1988. It didn't become uh, an, an organization that was legal until 1991, and so that's when we registered. But in 1988, I tried to reach out across the country and see there's got to be someone else who wants to do what I'm doing. There are other communities where people are teaching youngsters. And I reached out, and I thought maybe I'd get six or seven people to come to a gathering, and let's talk about what we do. Ended up being 60 people. And so we started saying, well, we need to do this again, because I have information that you should know. I can help you, or I can present your company in my community, or I can just helping each other. So that is what we continue to do. But the organization now has a $4 million budget, and it's at 32 years old, and we're still doing what we were doing in our each in different communities, having dance companies, having uh, programs, having schools, and that teaching youngsters not only just to be dancers but the benefit of dance training being uh, focused and being seriously about and, and thinking about what you're disciplined and able to survive in all kind of communities because you have that training that dance gives you you know i also want to ask you about dance women living legends award that you received and as again i mentioned it was a tribute to five african-american women who founded modern dance companies with deep roots in black communities in the U.S. Talk to me a little bit about some of those organizations. They all grew out of the IABD concept, let's get together and help each other. So the people at the Apollo Theater in New York City uh, came up with an idea that they put the five companies together, and that's how it really started. But also then they wanted people to know New York was not just a haven for dancers, and there are people in communities all across the country doing things, helping to uh, make sure that black youngsters get the best training they can. And they're still thriving today just the way Philodenko is? Well, in fact, Dallas is thriving even better than Philodenko because they happen to be in a community that welcomed the organization. Uh, they, They lost the ballet company, so they all gathered around the modern dance company and made sure that it succeeded. So Denver, the same thing. I know the woman that has the company in in Los Angeles, who was one of those five women, she was competing mainly with the people in the commercial world of dance, were doing film, video. So it was hard for her to keep dancers in her company. So she had to make her product even better or what she could offer her dancers competitively equal to what, they could make by being a movie. Talk to me also about what could have been a seminal moment or was likely a seminal moment in your life, receiving the 2012 National Medal of the Arts. Well, actually, it was funny because my company, we were on our way to Chile, and I got the call from the White House saying, well, we would like for you to come to Washington for a presentation. And I'm like, I can't. They said, no, but you have to be here because this is an award from um Obama, and I'm like, oh, what from Obama? Thinking, there's never going to be another black president in my lifetime. 
I went to the uh, award ceremony. I had to leave before uh, the end of the evening because I had to get on the plane to Chile. But uh, again, it was a thrill. It was a thrill. And I think my children were more excited than I was. It was truly, truly a momentous time in my life. And again, I know that at my age, highly unlikely will that opportunity present itself again. What is it like for you to reflect and look back on your life and your career? Is it overwhelming or is it like I still have so much more work to do? Well, there is still a lot of work to do. And I just hired someone who was one of my dancers who went on to college and got her PhD and and I I brought her back to work for me. I said, okay, now you have to make what you know available to other people and to take, make sure that Philadelphia survives me. So I'm hoping that uh, that happens. It isn't easy. It isn't easy for anyone in dance, I don't think, because dance is not considered a high art. So all of the black, white, purple, and green that have dance companies have almost the same problems as far as funding, or as far as work. So what still has to be done? Well, I think more opportunities need to be available for dancers, and speaking of dancers of color, to go into companies. We had an artistic director of a, a company say, oh, no, but everything has to be like it was in Europe. Everything, Everybody has to be the same color. Everybody has to look alike. The costumes of the ballet requires that. But I think most people today, when they look at something they enjoy, they don't, they're not looking at color. It doesn't make a difference when they go to see a ballet or a Broadway show if who what color the person is as long as they're doing a good job. And I think that that mindset has to change, that it's okay to have one. It's okay to have four. Most ballet companies have 30 company members, and there's only one person of color. and Or that person might be uh, Oriental or might be Latino. I'm looking, reaching out now to Native American girls because the first American ballerinas were Native Americans, and now you don't see any of them. So aren't they training them any longer, or isn't there a place for them any longer? So we want to make sure that they are of color and that they should be involved. And it isn't always just about being black, but it's being about inequity for all people. You're absolutely right, but I guess it just still boggles the mind that we have to have this discussion in this day and age. Again and again, I was at a meeting the other day about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm like, I had this conversation in 1982. I have the same notes. Why am I talking about this now? Why isn't there a difference? A lot of people talk about it to get funding. They'll get a big check to say, oh, we're doing diversity with our organization. And it doesn't go any further than that check. Maybe I just didn't appreciate this because, again, living in New York City, your point is well taken. You know, Alvin Ailey or Dance Theater of Harlem, you just sort of don't think twice about it. But you're right. The mix is not there. Right. And, uh, you know, at the Bessie's Awards, the audience was 98% Caucasian. And the awards were to two people. And I'm like, and but, but speaking of Ailey, my dancers, when they leave Philadelphia, they go to Ailey because that's the only place they can go, go up. There's not, they're not looking at Paul Taylor's company. They're very seldom are they looking to audition for non-black companies because they know the chances are so limited. So they have to have more opportunities and more opportunities to even to fail. 
you don't always have to be a success, but you, you at least have the opportunity or the chance to to uh, compete, have a chance to be considered. This life I live, you know, I thought surely by the time I got to be almost 90 years old, I wouldn't have this conversation. I wouldn't be talking about it. I would be talking about we got to train dancers better. All dancers, you know. For me, it's jaw-dropping that at your age, you're still doing this. It's one thing for the love of dance, but it's also in terms of the education and the equity or the lack thereof, I should say. Exactly. But I've been successful at keeping my company going. I have four units. On, and not only do I have the professional company where I pay them every week, I have a second company where I just give them free classes and performing opportunities so that when they go to look for a job, they're well-trained and they have experience. Then I have a youth teenage group, which I want the girls to consider that when they leave high school, that if they want to be a dancer, you can still go to college and, and major in dance. Then I got little kids. 8 to 12 year old who are marvelous dancers, but the mama don't see it. So if you put it in front of mama's face, she'll say, and I'm not talking about competition dancers. I'm talking about well-trained dancers who have looked forward to a career or a degree in dance. You can get a Ph.D. in dance and choreography now. And so they should be able to be equipped to do that. So at your age, are you going on the road a lot to educate people? Well, I go when I'm requested. I try not to travel. Buses and, and planes are not my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. But when you're taking 20 people, it's like taking the third graders. You know, do you have your uh, do you have your uh, ID? Do you have your passport? Right. What do you do with your phone? You left it in the hotel. That's not the fun side of it. But when I stand in the audience stand in the back of the theater and people are standing on their feet applauding the dancers, that all makes it worthwhile. But I don't try not to go unless there's a, a need for me to go. I have an excellent artistic team, uh, so I'm not always required to go. Then there are places I want to go. <laughs> so yeah. Like if you're going to Switzerland, I'm like, oh, I'm going with them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so you're still working very hard behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. I work from 9 in the morning to 11 at night. Holy cow. Because when, when I'm not doing uh, the dance company work, I still have to run the school. Uh, since I'm uh, gaily divorced, I can have freedom to come and go as I like. And whenever I want, I go with them or I jump in the room and say, oh, no, you're not doing that right. You mentioned children. Are any of your children involved in this profession? Well, my oldest daughter told me that Mom, that's your dream, not mine. I'll help you, but that's not what I want to do. My youngest daughter took a turnaround after she had her daughter uh, and said, I want to help you. So she's been a big help to me. Uh, then I have a stepdaughter who, once I divorced, uh, her mom died, and I got an opportunity to get another daughter. So I got three beautiful daughters and six grandkids, and I'm in excellent health. I'm grateful for that. And and the old mind hasn't competed out completely yet, so. Well, clearly not. I mean, you are an amazing role model. Oh, thank you. I have a good knack for stating the obvious. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's just, you're inspiring and you're uplifting and you just never say no. Well, I like to say go. <laughs> <laughs> so we're running out of time. What I'm going to ask you now is to give me your wish list for, quote, tomorrow? 
Well, I wish that I could pay my dancers more. I wish I had more staff to help with the day-to-day work. I wish that someone would just give me a million dollars and say, here, take away your worries for a while. And I wish that I continue to be healthy and strong. The world is a better place because we have women like you. You're just so inspiring, and you're just, in a word, terrific. Uh, thank you for who you are and what you do. Well, I thank you for having the opportunity to let people know what I do. Well, the pleasure has been mine. Thank you so very much, and I enjoyed talking to you, and I wish you good luck. You know, ladies, you're doing a job that you women didn't used to do, too, so keep up the good work. Thank you, Joan. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.